Gracious God, we thank you for the people you put in our lives to teach us as we go. We thank you for the wisdom and support of our grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, teachers, and mentors, for our recovery sponsors, Sunday school teachers, coaches, and personal trainers, for everyone who takes the time to walk alongside us on our journeys. Thank you for sending us our greatest teacher, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit, guiding us to be there for others as well whenever we can share our experience, strength, and hope to help someone else. God, we lift to you everyone we know who needs your healing touch today. We ask that you heal their bodies, minds, and spirits and help us to be a comforting presence to them too. Guide us as we go out this week to be examples of your peace and love in the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Because the past is just a goodbye Teach your children well Their father's help did slowly go by And feed them on your dreams The one they pick the one you'll know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they love you And you of the tender years can't know the fears that your elders grew by and so please help them with your youth they seek the truth before they can die teach your parents well the children's help will slowly go by and feed them on your dreams the one they fix the one you'll know by don't you ever ask them why if they told you you would cry so just look at them and sigh The synagogue, like I said, it taught me about being Jewish. It taught me the stories of, of, the, of the Bible. 
But there's, there's a difference between learning stories and lear- knowing the author. If I could possibly come to a knowledge of him, not just know about him or not just know, you know what he said to do or not to do, if I could somehow know him, that would be the best knowing that there is. I began to, to seek in my heart and I began to read more of this Jesus and the words of this Jesus. I, I learned that he's Jewish. He's talking about the Torah. He's talking about the prophets. He's talking about David. He's talking about Elijah. I was reading the words of a rabbi. This was not what I expected, opening up the Gentile Bible. He was addressing issues of my heart, how I should relate to other people, what, how, or, or how God is so righteous and holy and that he wants me in my heart to be righteous and holy. I know that I'm impure. I know, I know that I'm not right. I know that there's so much imperfection, but I also see this, this, this perfection before me, this beauty before me. And I read in, in the Hebrew Bible how God's messenger, God's servant was wounded. He was bruised for our iniquities, sins. Something had happened, something had turned my heart around and I became open to God and the fulfillment of everything that my upbringing pointed to. I was second semester in school. There was nobody in the dormitory room but me. And I had been reading and soaking it all in, thinking about it and mulling over this for months. But I finally, I got up from my bed, stood up, and I just kind of, I said to myself, you know, I might as well just admit it. I believe this. This is who I am. I, I felt something, like physically, come over me. The top of my head, and kind of going down. It was real. It was there. It was like almost physically you could feel it, but it, I knew that it was kind of like the air. It wasn't, you couldn't grasp it, but it's there. Came down. But most importantly, what this was saying to me, I, I remembered as clear as day, it was saying to me, son, what you have just said is the truth. As a Jew believing in the Jewish Messiah, I'm more complete as a Jew than I ever was. When I opened up my heart to see beyond prejudice, to see beyond artificial walls that have been created over the centuries. And I began to understand that my faith is complete, that I do not have to wait forever to know who this Messiah is, who this one who is to come, who it is at the Passover that we're waiting for when we open up the door and look outside. I know who he is. I know that he needed to come as Messiah, the suffering servant, and that one day he will come again as Messiah, the King of Kings. 
This man was raised Jewish but had never realized Jesus was a Jewish rabbi until a friend lent him his Christian Bible. Reading the New Testament for the first time as an adult opened his eyes to see Jesus as someone he could trust, a rabbi he could learn from. Forming a relationship of love and trust with Jesus changed his heart forever. Well, welcome to our Lenten message series entitled, Rabbi Jesus. I wonder how many people have no idea that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. In the past 100 years, our world has unfortunately experienced a lot of anti-Semitism and so developed a sort of defensive prejudice about learning from those who are different from us. Maybe this is why the fact that Jesus was a Jew has been glossed over in Christian denominations and many Christians and Jews haven't taken the time to see the commonality and the unity that our faith shares. The ecumenical movement has helped greatly raising awareness of our commonality. In the Jewish community, the rabbi is the community's teacher, the one who has the answers, the one you turn to in times of crisis and who you want being there with you celebrating in times of joy. As a rabbi, Jesus had different teaching methods he liked to use. Paying attention to his methods can help us be better teachers ourselves. Everyone has something to teach. If we stay open-minded and humble, we can learn important things from the most unlikely of teachers. Let us not ever start to believe that we don't have important things to share. We're all here to help each other navigate life together. As God's children made in the image and likeness of God, we all, from the very youngest to the oldest, have the ability to impact others' lives. And for some of us, because of our life circumstances and specific experiences we've gone through, we're in a position to reach those persons who are unreachable by others. They won't listen to anyone but you. All of us have something to teach someone. The rabbi was not only the wise teacher, but also the source of spiritual comfort and guidance for all the people. Rabbi Jesus left us with the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, which was poured out on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after that first Easter. Jesus told us he was going to have to leave us in order to send us his Holy Spirit to bring to mind everything we would need to remember for this life. Through the Spirit, he continues to teach and comfort us today. So in the next few weeks, we will not only learn about his teaching methods, but we will seriously consider what it means for Jesus to be our rabbi, our source of spiritual wisdom and support. When we read the Gospels, one method we see Jesus using often is the use of the surrounding environment, objects in it and the everyday things that they were used to seeing, as well as the liturgical seasons with their festivals to teach his disciples in real time as they're experiencing the environment. In the Gospel of John, for all of the I am sayings, there is a corresponding feast or environmental situation that supports him saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. For example, when he told the disciples he was the light of the world, they were in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles where there were hundreds of oil lamps lighting up the whole temple. Now that's a powerful teaching moment. In another teaching moment, right before Jesus returned to Jerusalem to die, he took the disciples on a field trip, which took two days to get there, to a pagan shrine. 
in Caesarea Philippi, there was this gigantic stone cliff with a cave and a stream of fresh water flowing out of it. And there had been all these little nooks and crannies carved out of this cliff wall for holding statues of false gods and images. This was a place where disgusting ceremonial practices took place in attempts to appease the fertility gods to give them good harvests each year. The pagans believed the gods lived wherever there was water because water represented life to them. And they believed that this cave was the entrance to Hades. So it was called the Gate of Hades where the false god Baal was believed to go during the winter. And this cliff was known to them as the rock of the gods. You can imagine the disciples are wondering, why in the world does Jesus want us to come here? But taking them on this field trip gives Jesus a powerful teaching opportunity. It is here, standing in front of this pagan rock shrine, that Jesus asks the disciples, who do they think he is? And it is here where Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, hell, will not overcome it. Now some believe the rock Jesus was referring to was actually Peter. Some believe the rock meant Peter's confession that he was going to build his church upon. But there's also the possibility the rock is the actual rock cliff they're standing in front of, meaning the church Jesus will build on top of this rock of false gods and practices, and that Jesus' church will replace all the false religions and the devil's lies. The power of Jesus' church will overcome it and completely replace it, and the gates of Hades will never prevail. Isn't it interesting to think about which meaning Jesus intended for the rock in that statement? The one they were standing in front of is a possible interpretation. One of his other favorite teaching methods was the use of metaphors and parables. Theologian James Fleming says there are two things about parables. One, they are true. And two, we don't understand them. Once you think you've gotten it down, there's something unanticipated about it at a later on a different level. We know Jesus liked to use the environment and objects the disciples were familiar with as metaphors to help them understand. In the following two parables, we see the use of farming metaphors because they lived in an agricultural society. This was a language they could relate to. In Matthew 13, 13 through 30, we find Jesus had been sitting by the sea but has had to get into a boat because so great were the crowds that followed him. Now the crowds are standing on the seashore and he's teaching them from the boat using only parables. He says to them, This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The NRSV version of the Bible explains that parables show something about God's reign by engaging the imagination and challenging conventional perspectives. An unexpected twist underlines the surprising, gracious, demanding, and countercultural nature of God's reign. For those who have welcomed Jesus, the parables and explanations confirm their commitment to and understanding of God's reign. But for those who have not welcomed Jesus, the parables are confusing and they struggle to understand their meaning. Hopefully all of us can understand the meaning of the parable of the sower or the four types of soil. The seed that fell on the path represents those that hear the word but don't understand it so the evil one comes and snatches it away. The seed that fell on the rocky ground represents those that receive the word with joy but they have no root so when trouble or persecution arises they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns represents those that hear the word, but the cares of this world and the lure of wealth choke it and it yields nothing. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear the word, understand it, and yield fruit. The next parable of the weeds is also full of metaphors. The field is the world. The sower of good seeds is Jesus. The sower of weeds is the devil. The reapers are Jesus' angels that will collect out of the field all the causes of sin and all evildoers. The NRSV explains in this parable, The devil opposes God, Jesus, and his followers. Justice and injustice coexist in the world. But in the future, Satan will be defeated and God's reign established. It's important for us to study parables since Jesus used so many of them to teach us important life lessons. Can you relate to these? I certainly can relate to the four types of soil. There was a time in my life that I was seed that fell on the rocky ground where I started out hearing the word as a child and received it with joy but had no roots. So when tragedy hit my family, I fell away and did not stay in church. 
There's also a time I could have been the seed that fell among thorns, where I heard the word, but the cares of the world choked it, and I yielded nothing. Later on, I can look back and see when I finally came to be the seed that fell in good soil, heard the word and understood it, and began to yield fruit in my life. Can any of you relate to these metaphors? Our spiritual journeys could certainly look like these gardening examples. So we can see how parables are wonderful teaching tools, just like going on field trips are wonderful ways to learn new things. Jesus was the best teacher. Can you think back to who your favorite teacher was when you were in school? I think about my high school art teacher, Miss Lancaster. High school was so hard for me because it was a gigantic, chaotic, noisy place. But Miss Lancaster's art room was a safe place. And Miss Lancaster was a safe person. Right before I graduated, she took me by the shoulders, looked me in the eyes and said, Promise me you will never stop doing art, Mimi. Because she knew how healing art can be for an artist. When you think about your favorite teacher, what was it about that teacher that made them special to you? Were they entertaining and they got your attention with humor? Were they academically gifted and just seemed to know everything there was to know? Or could it be that out of all your teachers, this particular teacher really understood you? They saw you, your potential. Maybe they knew you weren't a visual learner. Not a, maybe you were a hands-on learner. So they helped you learn in the ways that you needed to learn. Maybe they encouraged you to persevere when something was really difficult and they would not let you quit because they believed in you. Isn't that like Jesus? We were so lucky if we had that kind of teacher during our formative years. That is the kind of teacher we have in Rabbi Jesus, the one who gave us his own spirit to comfort and guide us in this life. Let's stay alert to the teaching moments he will continue to bring us. Who knows, Jesus may be setting each of us up for some teaching moments of our own where we will be asked to use our experience, strength, and hope to teach and encourage someone else, someone who may not listen to anyone else but you. After all, once we've been given knowledge and encouragement, the very best thing that we can do is share it with others. We want you to, to stand with us and so we sing this last song called I'm a Child of Love. And you it kind of describes going along some of the paths that Mimi described in, in your life and then how um, just we know with receiving Jesus that it, we become uh, the children of God. Satisfy my soul And 
Though the lies I believed in Left me crying like the rain And I saw lightning from heaven And I've never been the same Child of love 